Critics of the Liberals' handling of the Freedom Convoy and its occupation of downtown Ottawa in 2022 were handed some vindication this week. The Federal Court of Canada has ruled that the Trudeau government's use of the Emergencies Act was unconstitutional. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Chris Nardi joins me to discuss why the court ruled against the Liberals, whether it opens the government to other legal action, and why the government is looking to appeal the ruling. Don't forget, you can find us on all your favorite streaming platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So Chris, there was yet another development in the whole Emergencies Act convoy protest story that takes us back a little ways here. So before we get into the development, I I suppose, can you just walk listeners back a little bit? And, and talk about what the Emergencies Act is, why the federal government invoked the Emergencies Act, and what was kind of the initial fallout there. So the setting is February 2022. Uh, we are in the midst of the COVID pandemic still and in lockdowns here in Ontario, especially, but across Canada. Um, and a very loosely related band of, of, of Canadians who... Um, you know, were united mostly by uh, concerns about vaccine mandates or the vaccines in general, you know, anti-vax, um, anti-government, kind of anti-establishment individuals, you know, rallied together and formed what we now call the Freedom Convoy 2022 and came down uh, onto Ottawa, but also a few other crucial points, including um the U.S.-Canada border crossing at Windsor and also the one at Coots in Alberta and a few other smaller groups in other provinces, but basically converged on those places and set up camp, as we know, blockades uh, for weeks that um, a general consensus is were uh, very poorly handled by police, but really specifically the one around Ottawa and Parliament Hill, where the protesters became entrenched for many, many weeks, as opposed to the other provinces where a bit looser. And so... On February 14th, Valentine's Day, one may recall, um, the Trudeau government having watched, especially around Parliament Hill, these um, protesters become extremely entrenched. We'll remember the hot tubs on Wellington Street, which is right in front of Parliament uh, and the bouncy castle. Sees presumably uh, the complete you know, ine- inefficacy of the Ottawa Police Service declares the an emergency or invokes the Emergencies Act, which is uh, the revamped, modernized version of the War Measures Act that was uh, upended in 1988 by the Brian Mulroney government to make it more stringent after it was first invoked by Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And so the invocation was massive for a number of reasons. The first being it was the first time it ever happened under the modern iteration of the Emergencies Act. Um, and it was also, it gave the government basically unprecedented powers to curb some um, civil freedoms. Uh, And in this case, it was particularly used for three things. The first was to give the government the power to uh, compel banks to freeze bank accounts to convoy participants that were uh, remaining in the blockades that wouldn't clear them out, and specifically to scare off anyone who would want to join because of the threat of having their bank accounts frozen. It also gave uh, police services and governments the ability to compel tow truck companies to collaborate with police to help clear out the remaining vehicles that were blockading, particularly in Ottawa. And the third main power that it gave them was to declare 
kind of a no-go zone, a red zone it was called, uh, particularly around the parliamentary precinct here in Ottawa, again, to prevent additional protesters from coming in and joining the blockades at a time when the police were finally gearing up to clear them out. So that's the setting, and this is the invocation of the Emergencies Act, first time in history, uh, with some significant, obviously, effects on civil liberties. And so almost immediately there was there was pushback against this, and they uh, civil liberties groups decided we're going to fight against this uh, and we're going to take the federal government to court. How did it land in the federal court? And then what ultimately did the federal court rule this week? So it landed in the federal court because um, the, the the lawsuits, there was basically four different groups that brought, um, let's call them lawsuits, the technical word is applications for judicial review, but let's call them lawsuits against the federal government's invocation of the act. And there are kind of two key players here, two civil liberties groups, one called the Canadian uh, the Canadian Constitutional Fo- Constitution Foundation, and then the other one is the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And basically, uh, when a government invokes a law or whatnot, you can turn to the courts and ask them for a judicial review of the government's use or, or, or application of a law. And so that's what they did. They basically went to the federal court and said, we believe that uh, the way the powers that were invoked and the way uh, the, that the Emergencies Act was invoked is unconstitutional. It breaches certain individuals' charter rights, and that ultimately the government did not meet the very high, the intentionally high threshold of threat to national security. That is required in the law to invoke what is called a public order emergency and thus use the powers within the Emergencies Act. So that was the first, that, that was basically the, the origin of the this contestation from these groups. Um, but, and as, you know, Canadian legal system goes, uh, it took basically roughly two years to get to a, a final product, a final ruling uh, at the federal court level, partially because uh, the judge, uh, whose name is Justice Robert Mosley, took many months to deliberate this after the hearings happened, I believe, last year. Um, and so it's a long process, obviously, and and one could question, well, what's the point of deeming it, it, the Emergencies Act invocation in 2022 legal today? Uh, well, in many ways, it is, in fact, moot, right? The, the, the government revoked the, invoca- uh, the Emergencies Act powers roughly a week after uh, first invoking them. Um, But the court here, its job was to look at if the government had the right and the the met the threshold basically to use those powers exceptionally in hindsight. So what ultimately did the court decide in this case? So the court ruled that the Trudeau government's use of the the, uh, Emergencies Act was unconstitutional, that basically the government had not met the threshold for the invocation, that the events that were ongoing at the time of the invocation, so February 14th, we're talking three weeks into the convoy protests, when most of them had been cleared out across the country except in Ottawa, um, what was going on at that moment did not reach the threshold as defined in the law in what is called the CSIS Act of a threat to national security, that there was harm to going on. The protests were unruly, the judge says. They were unsavory. Uh, they, they, were, they were damaging and hurtful to the economy, but they did not meet that very high threshold that is what we call a threat to national security as defined in the law. So fundamentally, uh, the government invoked the law, one could say illegally, but did not, have, did not meet that threshold. And then beyond that, they, the judge also found that 
Some of the powers, the way they were used, particularly the no-go zone that was blocked off in Ottawa streets that prevented people from coming in to the core around Parliament, as well as the freeze of bank accounts, which was somewhat indiscriminately, it was it was done in a semi-targeted way, but not targeted enough. And whereas there was collateral damage, there wasn't just the people who were at the protests who had their accounts frozen. But for example, if they had a joint account with a spouse who was still back at home and not participating in the convoy protests, um, they were also frozen out of their money. And thus, those two cases, the no-go zone was a violation of the some people's charter rights for freedom of expression, and the freezing of the bank accounts of people who may not have who might have been related but not been involved in the protests, that was a breach of their right in the charter against uh, excessive seizure and search and seizure. So those two portions of the law that were used were also found to have breached charter rights and thus making the invocation, once again, unconstitutional. So the words that the justice uses is the, uh, the use of the Emergencies Act was unreasonable, unjustified, and violated the charter. But that doesn't mean the law itself. The Emergencies Act is still... A, a legal thing in Canada that in the in future, should there be a need, a government of the day could still use it, correct? Absolutely. So, and the justice, Justice Mosley, was abundantly clear in this. His job was not to look at the constitutionality of the Emergencies Act. It was to look at how it was applied in this specific case. And that's a very important distinction, uh, Dave, because uh, in this particular case, he said, had someone brought to me, uh, as part of the opponents, had brought an argument that the law, the act, was unconstitutional. He says he would have considered that issue meritless. He, that is not what was at play here, nor does he appear to think that the act in itself is unconstitutional, though he does make mention of this. He does think that there are parts of this act, which, again, was rewritten in 1988 and hasn't been updated since, that needs modernizing. And a lot of experts will say this. It needs to be modernized to better reflect the threats of today, which of course, in 2023, we have very different concerns. You know, in 1988, the internet did not exist as we know it. Today, protests, threats—sorry, um, not protests, but threats—and uh, and and acts of violence, threats of acts of violence, happen online. Something that the act did not consider back in 1988, and so the definition of the threshold is very old and needs to be updated. And almost everyone, including Mosley, appears to agree with that. We'll be right back. Now I know this was seen as a, as a victory for the people who were involved in the in the convoy protest, a vindication that that the government overreached, and I think a lot of Canadians potentially felt that the use of the Emergencies Act was unnecessary. Did the judge comment at all on the protests in Ottawa, the occupation as people called it? Did he comment on the existence of those protests at all in his ruling? So he, he actually has a rather stern view of the protests, especially as they were unfolding in Ottawa. He says that, for example, uh, he considered the events of the convoy to have gone, quote, beyond legitimate protest. He called them an unacceptable breakdown of public order. He actually displayed a very unusual, say, level of introspection at the very end of this ruling. Um, and I will note that this is likely Mosley's final ruling ever. He's in fact a retired judge. He retired shortly after he heard these uh, these these hearings, this case, and I believe this may be one of the last decisions that was he was expected to publish. So, it's kind of a swan song. And in 
the conclusion, he, 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 he's very introspective and actually admits that at the onset, at the outset of the case, he was actually leaning on the belief uh, towards the belief that the invocation was legitimate, that the Emergencies Act was necessary at the time for the government with the information that it had in hand at the time that it had actually met that threshold. And he congratulated particularly the civil liberty groups, the, the CCF and the CCLA I mentioned earlier, for their excellent work because he said once the, the hearings were finished, I took time to process and, delib- and deliberate with myself and myself and his thinking evolved to his what is his final uh, his final ruling, which was that it was an unconstitutional decision in the end. Uh, but he absolutely is not necessarily kind towards the protesters. He does not find them to be within, uh, you know, the quote unquote, maybe publicly acceptable bounds of protest. But he also does not think that they reached the level of a threat to national security as is required to invoke the Emergencies Act. So that's where he draws the line. Does this open up the federal government to any other legal action? Could people turn around and say, well, I was a part of this and you seized my bank, you froze my bank account, I'm going to sue you now? Yes and no. So there's a number of things that come into play. Uh, It most certainly cannot undermine a potential civil case like this for damages to have a ruling that basically says that the actions that were taken against you as a protester were actually illegal, were unconstitutional. That does not hurt when you're planning on suing the government for damages. But there's a a few things that come into play that will probably work against anyone considering to do that. The first thing is what we call the statute of limitations. So that is the amount of time that you have to launch a lawsuit after an event event that has caused you damages has occurred. So in Ontario, for the vast majority of civil cases, that is two years. So again, a reminder, the Freedom Convoy and the Emergencies Act invocation was in February 2022. We are now in late January 2024. I'll let most people do the math, but that basically grants in most cases, again, there are always exceptions, but in most cases, it grants basically people who might want to sue weeks to launch their lawsuit before they hit up against that deadline, which is the statute of limitations. After that, another challenge, again, None of these are not you know, unsurmountable, but another challenge is that when you launch a civil lawsuit for damages, you have to be able to demonstrate that you were inflicted damages, right? That you like, you know, there's one thing having being frozen out of your accounts, but if you can't show that that specifically led to you, and I'm going to make some stuff up here, but if that specifically led to you missing mortgage payments and losing your house or uh, being you know, unable to pay rent and finding yourself in the street for a month or not being able to eat for a week, uh, you know, any number of very real consequences, um, you're basically facing an upward battle, right? A civil suit is to compensate you for damages. If you cannot prove that you have uh, endured damages or the people who were collateral victims of the Emergency Act measures were like had suffered real damages. That is another challenge. But, you know, I spoke to a number of experts about that question uh, over the week and everyone agrees that, you know, it's it's impossible to know, but it's absolutely something that could um, offer some opportunities to individuals impacted by the acts to launch a civil suit against uh, the government. Looking at the political aspect of all of this, how does this help the opposition, because I know conservative leader Pierre Poiliev, he wasn't leader at the time that the occupation, uh, the protest was going on in Ottawa, but he seemed to be a defender of them. He went out and met with people in the streets. Um, does this 
give him another cudgel with which to batter the federal government? Most definitely. I would say well beyond any potential legal consequences that this ruling has, uh, the most immediate and the most impactful consequences are political. And um, this is most definitely a knock against Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who um, has for years and, and to this day continues to insist that his government did the right thing when it invoked the Emergencies Act. In fact, his government has already promised within hours of the ruling being published that they would appeal it to the Federal Court of Appeal. Um, but ultimately, what it does is that it it allows Pierre Poiliev, uh, who at the time was rather open about his support for truckers in general, not necessarily, he tried always to draw the line between the more unsavory and, and borderline illegal elements of the protests and those who were simply trying to fight uh, protests for their civil rights, as, as he saw it. Um, but ultimately, Pierre Poiliev gets to revive this issue. And I mean, you know, there's a relatively strong argument, or maybe there's a, pre- pre- presumably a relatively strong political message in being able to say that the uh, current prime minister illegally violated the charter and, you know, took away people's rights illegally, right? Even if, you know, no matter what side you kind of sit on, on, on your views on the Freedom Convoy and the use of the Emergencies Act, it, that argument can carry weight amongst a lot of people. Uh, but ultimately, will this sway one voter or another? I think a lot of people, Dave, made their minds up on the Freedom Convoy very quickly back in 2022, when the Rulo Commission, or the uh, Commissioner Paul Rulo, who oversaw the uh, the inquiry into the use of the act last year, published his ruling finding actually different than Mosley. He finding that the act was invoked reasonably. Uh, I said at the time that that would not change anyone's views on the Freedom Convoy. And I would almost argue that it's unlikely that this ruling changes a lot of people's views on the Freedom Convoy and how the government acted. Some people, a lot of people, presumably, I, I think polling shows, uh, still support the government's use of the Emergencies Act, even if now we know that the courts considered to be unconstitutional. But again, going back to your point, absolutely big uh, boon for Pierre Poiliev, uh, who can now argue that the minister, you know, the prime minister uh, violated the charter. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, the government though is not chastened by this ruling. They have announced they're going to appeal. Do we know on what basis they're going to appeal and, and why are they not just licking their wounds here and kind of saying, okay, all right, you got us. <laughs> We're going to move on from this now. There, uh, we don't know why, uh, as in we don't know what legal arguments they brought up. In fact, it's it's rather easy to assess, considering that the government came out within, I think it was roughly two hours after the ruling was published, and these are published you know, to everyone more or less at the same time. Uh, within two hours, they would have came out and say, we are absolutely um, appealing this ruling tells me that that is a political decision. No lawyer has the time to go through a ruling and within two hours read 190 pages, because that's how long it was, uh, make a legal assessment of it, and then uh, you know come up and say, well, here are all the grounds for appeal that I immediately see. I mean, maybe there's a superhuman lawyer out there, but within two hours, that is extremely unlikely. And so that just shows that there is absolutely a political decision here to appeal this, uh, no matter the costs. I... 
having spoken to a fair amount of legal experts about this ruling, uh, there are things that are all absolutely appealable in this decision. You know, Mosley, um, it makes, as any judge does, interpretations of a law and how it was applied. And those are always, uh, not always, but those are those are absolutely open to appeal in many cases. And I think this is not an exception to that. Uh, will it be successful on appeal? No one really knows until the Federal Court of Appeal hears it. And honestly, there's a very good chance if... Uh, there's no major political change in the next few years that the Supreme Court could also eventually be called to hear this uh, this case, particularly if the Federal Court of Appeal uh, rules differently than the Federal Court. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, you know, we'll see what the arguments the government has when they decide to bring forward their appeal. Uh, until then, Chris, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Nardi. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.